Imagine that you're part of a community of faith. It's divided. And each faction is following a speaker who tickles your ears and scratches where you itch. In other words, a very easy slide into a sort of individualistic consumer Christianity. Shopping for the right kind of church that will meet your needs. It's become the place where preachers are characterized by their eloquent speech and human wisdom. Your favorite TED talk or podcast or the favorite sound bites that you go to again and again. People are in a morgue with people with eloquent speaking and motivational talks, but they say little of a crucified Christ. Their seductive voices appeal to our wants and desires. Can you imagine the look on their face when someone sits down, writes them a letter, and says, Jews demand signs, and Greeks smoke for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Nonsense, they say. Of course, we know this writer is the Apostle Paul, as he wrote the letters to the Corinthians. We have two of them in our New Testament, but there's been contained in the two letters says that he probably wrote other letters, and maybe one of the letters that we do have was a series of letters. But he's writing to Corinth. Corinth was a city that was renowned for its prosperity, advanced learning, diversity of thought, plurality of religions and philosophy, liberal attitudes within a culture that loved to talk about wisdom. In modern day Greece is where you would find Corinth. It was a Roman city, but it had problems. It had problems. Paul says that they were divided, that there were factions amongst them. And he criticized the believers in Corinth for that. But he has a real tricky way of saying that, because when you look back at chapter 1, he has this typical grace and peace and, and greeting there to the church in Corinth, and then he, he says, I thank God because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. He talks about their spiritual gifts, he gives them all that good stuff, but then he hits them hard and brings them to the awareness that this is a divine church. Paul knows how to get attention, sweeten you up to make sure that you don't Forget what he's trying to tell you. Their quarreling was more than a difference of opinion. What happened in the Corinth church and happened today around the world in the church of God is that popularity has replaced credibility. It's taken place in our political world too. If the person is popular, it doesn't matter what comes out of their mouth because we're going after popular speakers and not if they're credible, not if they're trustworthy. Not if they are in it for you, not for themselves. The disease of popularity has crept into the church of Jesus Christ. Some people in the Corinthian church are behaving in ways that shocks their neighbors, engaging in sexual activity that some find problematic, and I guess so, having sex with your stepmom is pretty problematic to me. Freely engage in the pagan culture of your day, eating meat that was sacrificed to pagan gods and pagan temples. Some of the members of the Corinthian church have a real kind of wicked behavior at worship. And at worship, they, they hog all the food, they drink all the wine, and they get drunk at their potlucks. And Paul hits him with that throughout the letter. If you just read the Corinthian, if you don't understand chapter 1, you don't understand the rest of the letter to the Corinthians. But then Paul says, this was one of his most treasured churches. He founded the church. Acts chapter 18, you find the story of Paul finding the church or starting the church 
They courted to stay here for 18 months. Then he left it to somebody else. But he always had a problem in Corinth, not necessarily the church, but the Jewish synagogues in that town. But he says that these people in Corinth are full of the Spirit's energy, have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and yet all that other garbage is going along, right alongside of that. But you know, uh, he also says that they're just infants in Christ now. He has a pastor's heart. He has patience for the people in Corinth. A lot more than some of us have towards people in the church that aren't living the way that we think they should live. Right? Paul has patience there. But Paul also has an espionage, a spy in Corinth. And he brings that out. And her name is Chloe's household. This is what Paul writes. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels. Well, you think that Paul wasn't going to know about it? When there's quarrels in the church and people are at odds with each other, that we can just go out of the building and that's it? No! Paul has an informant there and they let him know that there is division in the church. I follow Paul. I follow Paul. I follow Cephas or Peter. And then Paul says, some follow Christ. It doesn't say some. I said that. He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And yet, in verse 2, when he starts the letter, he calls these same bunch of people saints. Doesn't that just floor you? He calls them saints. What happened in Corinth is that they became puffed up, favoring one over another. One speaker over another speaker. It wasn't the speaker's fault, it was the sheep's fault. They were led astray because they were seeking a popular speaker. I'm going to go where there's a popular speaker instead of following the local speaker that was there who started the church, the Apostle Paul. There was an anti-Paul group in the church. They wanted to get Paul out. You've been in churches, right? We try to push the pastor out. There was an anti-Paul group. We like these people. We like what they're teaching us. But this Paul guy, I don't know if I want to hear what he has to say. So how does Paul answer them? He talks about the most nonsense, foolish madness you ever heard. We preach Christ crucified. They had problems there. And Paul identifies the group. One group is Jews. The other group is Greek, which means all of us. Right? And there are two fabrics pieces of fabric that belong to the same social environment as Corinth. They both reside there. We're not in Israel. We're in Corinth. We're in Greek. And these two groups are there. Right? And they come from different religious backgrounds. And they got the, they're all together in the church now. They got to learn how to live together. Just like I'm from away and you're, some of you are from here but not all of you are from here. We got to learn to live together. This is where we find ourselves. This is where God's going to move in our lives. Right? So he said these two groups and then within these two groups, he puts two more categories. There's the people that are perishing. And then there's the people that are being saved. The people that are perishing are those that believe that they don't need mercy. They don't need forgiveness. They're just fine. And they're going to go around about life in their own special way. And they're going to do it with their own strength. The other ones that are being saved are the ones that got a glimpse of the cross of Jesus Christ crucified and have opened up to them the throne room of God and they fell on their face and they cried, Holy is the one who's crucified on my behalf. 
and they began to follow them. This is how he setting us up to read this letter that is before us. Jesus Christ crucified. We preach that. That's the message of the church. Not just for the Friday. This is what draws everybody to the heart of God. This is the only way that you can know the heart of God. It's through the crucified Messiah. See, the Roman Empire reserved the cross of execution for those disputable individuals, criminals, insurrectionists, runaway slaves, pirates, thieves, and all those that threatened the sanctioned order of the Roman Empire. Because Rome is mighty. And the Roman gods are mighty. And if you dare cross that border that you're not supposed to go into, they're going to snuff you out. That's the type of God the Romans worship and adore. But that's not the God of Israel. The God of second chances, the God of new starts. We messed it up at creation. We messed it up after the flood. And then he had to start with Abraham. And then he messed it up. And Jesus entered into this world. Hello! The gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. Crucified. It was humiliation he went through. It was a public spectacle that he went through. It was torture that he went through. Rome through all the might that it had upon Jesus and nailed him there. In some Jewish circles, it was regarded as a sign of a divine curse. Cursed is the one that is hung on the tree, Deuteronomy chapter 21. History teaches us that might is right. Comes, who comes on top has all the power. The battle for the survivors of the fittest. The message of a crucified Messiah is nonsense to the world of yesterday and nonsense to most of the world of today. It doesn't make sense. Well, you see, you can tell me, oh, I know Jesus died for me. But it really is a foolish message. And only through God intervening can you get it. Only through the agency of the Holy Spirit can you understand what is truth there. Who would believe such message? Well, we have, some of us, haven't we? Such nonsense and such foolishness and decided to follow him. The one who tells me to deny myself, to take out my cross, to follow him even to death. The one who says that I, I have to be crucified with Christ. I need to die for myself so that I can hang on the cross with him and find freedom and deliverance and liberation. Who would believe such nonsense? Listen to these words from the story of Tom Holland. The notion that a God might have suffered death on the cross was as shocking as to appear repulsive. Familiarity with the biblical narrative of the crucifixion has dulled our sense of just how completely novel a deity Christ was. We have polished lusts. We have golden crosses on our necks. We have golden lapels for our jackets. And we have crosses printed on our, on our, on our t-shirts. And we have a cross on the PowerPoint slide. That's not the way. Look, we sanitized it. We dulled the message of the crucified Christ. For our day and forever. In the ancient world, it goes on to say, it was the role of gods who made claim to ruling the universe to uphold its order by inflicting punishment, not to suffer themselves. All the gods of the ancient world and the gods of the Lord, they don't suffer with us or for us. They inflict punishment. And some of us in Christianity have got a distorted view of God that He is punishing us. No, he sent his son to redeem us. That's why we preach Christ crucified. 
to the Greeks, stumbling block and a scandal for the Jews. But it's the power of salvation for those who believe. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you experienced him? Have you encountered him? We have a God who suffers. As one of Matt Redmond's days, we have a God who weeps. We have a God who bleeds. He's human like us. He stepped into our wardrobe and he died in our place. And he knows what it is when we weep all night long for our children and for our grandchildren and for our community and for our church. He knows because he's been there. Whether it was in the garden or whether it was at the tomb of Lazarus. And he bleeds because on that cross he bled. He bled for you and he bled for me. There is a fountain deep in wide flowing from Emmanuel's veins. It's his veins that shed the blood that cleanses us from all sin. All sin. Another person added just anything cultural, anything over against the world, anything that turns the kingdoms of the earth upside down, anything that challenges the principalities and the powers that be, they are there. It has nothing to do with eloquence. Nothing to do with motivational talks. Nothing to do with innovation. Innovation Innovation is not our mission. Our mission is to preach Christ crucified. God uses our innovation so that we continue to preach the message. But innovation is not our message. We preach Christ crucified. Remember what he told the Romans? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the power of God for everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. Are you ashamed of the gospel of the crucified Messiah? Are you in love with the message of the crucified Christ? Our strongest effort in advocating for justice and caring for the poor may be startling. It's a good thing to do, but it's not at the level of the foolishness of the message of the cross. Oh, we can get good worship bands and we can sing our hearts out uh, to Jesus comes, but it's not foolishness like the crucified Messiah. We can have all the things that we want and do and bigger buildings and bigger auditoriums, but that does not bear out to the message of a crucified Messiah. We've been chasing popularity. We've been chasing bigness in the terms of the world instead of focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ. God's foolishness is wiser and God's weakness is stronger than the church at its self-efficient best. you believe that, church? you believe that? His foolishness is wiser, his weakness is stronger than the church at its self-efficient best. How can we begin our journey with Jesus Christ at the cross and then think that we have to do it all? Who else bewitched you? The Apostle Paul was saying we throw all the responsibility on us. Jesus is there so that we can throw it all on him and walk in the light of his spirit. Not with burdens. In an age of celebrity culture, personality cults within the church, Paul says, do not deviate from the message of the crucified Messiah. Paul is not interested in winning friends. He doesn't want groupies hanging around him. Or whiners, on that matter. Both of them are dangerous for any popular leader. Paul's sole desire is to please God. Is that yours? I'm here to please God. The message he preaches is that of a crucified Christ. It's not a thing. 
He's a person. It's like you and me, he has flesh and blood. He was real. You can picture it. He'll say, ouch. He's that real. And he continually comes to us because he's never finished outpouring his grace upon the world. He's still reaching out to mankind, even though they call it a foolish message. He still goes to them with his grace. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He didn't just start with Jesus' ministry. Remember the character of Abraham, Moses, and David? Now, we know Abraham and his wife Sarah were a bunch of senior citizens, right? And he says, from these senior citizens beyond the age of childbearing, he says, I'm going to start my new family. Come on, God, can't you do better than that? Get some young people who are full of good hormones to start a family and produce a, a child that will take care of the sins of the world. No, he uses the foolishness. He uses senior citizens without any Medicare. <laughs> Who knows how the delivery is going to go? He uses them to start a new family that will walk in covenantal faithfulness with God, in obedience with God. And that family becomes Israel. And that family is where Jesus comes from. He traces lineage there. And then when he wants to dethrone Egypt or set the Israelites free from their bondage, he gets a stutter. Come on, God. Can't you find somebody that doesn't stutter, stutter to speak, <laughs> speak to the Pharaoh? You gotta send somebody to the let my people go. But God uses the foolishness of human wisdom so that we may get attention. And then he's facing a Goliath, and who does he send? Saul. Saul should have gone. He was a head taller than the rest of them, the scripture says. But who goes a little run called David? God has always been using the foolishness of, of human wisdom to upset the apple cart and say, you better look at me, guys. You think this is not possible? But with me, things that are impossible are made possible through my intervention. And he did the same with the Corinthians. Paul in verse 26 and 27 said, because he's turning it on within them, right? Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Some were, because this is not many. And not many were influential. Some were. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame. In other words, he told the Corinthians, you guys were nothing. You were nothing but a bunch of fools for the most part. But look what I did with your life. Hey, do you remember the time you came to Jesus? You remember what he did in your heart? You remember how he turned everything around and he set you free and put you on the road of holiness and righteousness and wisdom and redemption. That's what he did through a message of foolishness. A Messiah crucified upon the cross. But we're not just saved at the cross. Because in our journey we are being saved. Because one day we shall be fully saved when we see him face to face. It's a journey that goes on and on in life. God did not call us to preach only holiness. And that's not the main thing God has called us to preach, even though holiness is part of the message. God did not always call us to preach one saved, always saved. Though if you really look at it, if you are saved and you're on the journey, you'll be always saved, but if you get off the journey, you won't be always saved. But anyway, that's a discussion for another time. 
He did not call us to preach justice or the do's and don'ts of the legalism that has inflicted and damaged the church through time. He's called us to preach one thing. And Paul says, I don't care how many people I baptize. I've been called to preach Jesus. We preach Christ crucified. See, it's easy to deny the message of a crucified Christ today. Because we can do it ourselves. We do it ourselves. Why do we need a crucified Messiah? That's too shiny for us. Too shiny for us. And then we lose sight of it because we take him off the cross. And we don't reflect enough on Jesus being on. Yes, I know he rose from the dead. But we've forgotten that. He hung there at one point in history for you and me. And we adapted Frank Sinatra's song, right? I did it my way. And we pride ourselves in that, right? But even Frank, when he sang, he said, I have some regrets. At least a little bit of confession. How can we go on our journey with Jesus Christ and not keep up to date with our confessions before us? He knows what we do and what we don't do. He knows where we've been and haven't been. See, the Corinthians believe that they started at the cross and now they don't need the cross anymore. They can go beyond it. They're full of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Right? I don't need to go back to the cross. My dear friends, you need to always go back to the cross. You need to visit it. You need to visit the empty tomb. You need to visit the, the, the passage of Acts chapter 1 where Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. You need to revisit the passages where Jesus came back. Came back. See, no one but the God-man Jesus Christ has passed through all the hopes of human existence and made it to the other side by faith. Even the ones that have died in Christ right now, they haven't made it. None of them have been resurrected yet. None of them. They're still waiting for that day when Christ comes back that the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then all of us that were left in life will be with them. It'll be a corporate gathering of our dead in Christ, resurrection into that new life that is part of the kingdom of God, where it's not just heaven, but it's a new heaven and a new earth. Joining together, Eden restored to mankind, creation restored, humanity restored, and God's relationship with us restored. The Corinthians were in danger of committing the sin of presumption. Over-exaggerating what Christ has done, there's nothing left for them to learn and to absorb. Listen, I'm retired. I've been in the ministry a few decades or more. And I'm still learning new things. We all need to have an open heart to the teachings of God and the Spirit. Sometimes it comes from another writer. Sometimes it comes from just reading the scriptures. Sometimes God just whispers in your ear as you're walking down the street. And he's assured you of his presence. That he's a with us God. Which leads us to the, the power of God. See, people in the ancient world see the power of a God as power not for the people. Right? It wasn't for the people. It was for themselves. We've seen enough TV and movies and read enough books of how tyrants work. Not only today, but how they worked in the ancient days as well. The situation in Corinth causes the celebrity pulpiteers to have power over people. And they're entered into a phase of being gods to these people. 
Not when we say, sit at the feet of the popular speakers of our day or the popular worship leaders of our day. That's all fine and dandy. Nobody's but you need to sit at the feet of crucified. You need to bow down. You need to cast all the ground you have human in this life and just throw them away and consider them all rubbish in comparison of knowing the power of his resurrection and his sufferings. Jesus I'm talking about. See, when you lose focus on the crucified Messiah, we begin to get on each other's nerves. <laughs> you know, we go back to the garden. She did it! And then when it comes to her, Satan did it. And then he said, and then when we have problems, say, well, he did it too. Which means we include everybody else into our quagmire of sin. And we keep blaming each other. And factions arise. And quarrels arise. And division arise. And Paul is saying, look to him. Don't look to your silliness and your, your fighting games that you continue to play. I have delivered you from all that. God have come to heal ethnic groups, the Jews and the Greeks, so they can become one, the perishing and the saved, so that the perishing can move from this side and become part of the saved. It's not too late yet, friends. It's still time to come to Jesus. And it's all because he died on a cross one day. And he doesn't operate like the powers of the gods of his ancient world, of the ancient Near East, or the gods of our day, which is self. You know, where they try to ignite some fear to you, that if you don't accept Jesus, God's going to smack you up. And you're going to die like a mosquito at the end of that swat. Because that person, if he moves over to Jesus, he's still in chains, he's still grabbed by fear. But when you see the revelation of who Jesus is, God in the flesh, willingly going to the cross for our sins, and you look at that and you see the love of God poured out on that cross for all of humanity, you can't do nothing but say, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! And that love, it doesn't bring you to this side, still with chains, it brings me to God's side, chainless! I've been set free by the power of I have, have you? I have. You know, Pastor Betty always wants to taste my testimonies. As she did last week about what happened before I went to the communion table. And how the night before I did some lines of cocaine and then the next day I was at the altar of prayer. But you know, you know when I knew that the chains were really gone? When I ended up in the basement with people I know and they, they lined it up at the bar and they put some lines of cocaine and they said, come on, Mike. Let me see if it's real or not. And when I walked away from all that that day, I still stayed in the house, but I walked away from, from their teasing me. I knew that God gave me the power to stop. Not just to set me free from sin, but that I could walk with covenantal, faithful obedience to the one I love and the one I adore. There has to, you can't just be set free. You need to walk in that freedom. And he's there to help you all. I like what Anthony Thistleton says. The proclamation of a humiliated, crucified Christ whose matter of death was too shameful to mention in polite conversation had nothing to do with the spectacular or the manipulative. But this is what he says. It effectively empowered, most especially it was power for 
rather than the Christianized version of secular power over. You understand that? That God's power for us is not to be over us, but it's given to you. That you may walk in the steps of liberty. And when we get it wrong, when we want the world to become a Christianized secular version so that we can have power over everybody. That's not the way that God works. He's giving you power for you. Mark that off here. But He's giving you power to you so that you can go and share with other people. That you can set them free. Power for you for the sake of other people. And spread the message. And let it move from one place to another place. That's how Paul did it. Paul, as we read in chapter 2, Loma, the main text was 18 to 25. He says, I came to you in fear, trembling, not with eloquent speech, not with fasting. And, and, and Paul's not against philosophy. Some people say, well, Paul wasn't learned. Paul was a learned person. So, and he's not against advanced learning. What he wants us is to get what true wisdom is, and true wisdom is found in the crucified Christ. True holiness is found in the crucified Christ. True righteousness is found in the crucified Christ. True wisdom is found in the crucified Christ. I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but the life I now live, I love. I live through the faith of Jesus Christ, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Wow. Wow. As Pastor Sheila prayed, it's my identity. It's a him. I don't have to make up my identity. I don't have to change my identity either. But I found a new identity. My new identity is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. The true human who did what all humanity were called to do at the initiative and inception of creation. To follow God and be faithful students of the world. The wisdom of God. Do you know that the cross of Christ did not change the heart of God? You know, we often hear people say that, you know, Jesus died on the cross, changed the heart. It didn't change the heart of God. It revealed the heart of God. Because his heart was full of love before. Remember we sang how deep the Father's love on Good Friday? It was my sin that hanged there, right? My voice among the scoffers, crucify him! Did you ever wonder how come nobody shouted out, go crucify him? Because some of them were on his side, but they remained silent. And then the songwriter said, how deep the Father's love. Well, the other hymn, the love of God, you know, uh, you can't measure it. The Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians, it's depth, it's length, it's width, it's, it's immeasurable. That's how much he loves you. And me. Thank God. Thank God. When we go to wisdom, the problem in Corinth was that they, they thought that they went beyond the cross and they had the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so they're going to, they're wisdom people because they're Greeks and they're going to they found a new way and they went and they thought that that was good enough and Paul said no it's not, get back to the cross get back to the cross and then Paul talks about the Jews, the man assigned they're always looking for a sign aren't they 
split the Red Sea, split the Jordan River. Then you have Gideon with his fleece, poor guy. There's a problem with people that are always looking for a sign, always looking for the extraordinary, that they can't sense the presence of God in ordinary days in this place right now. Right now. Yes. Give me a sign, God, and I'll follow you. Sometimes God gives you the sign. Then you go, give me a sign, God, I'll follow you. And then when God doesn't give you the sign, you say, get out of here, I don't need you anymore. That's the danger of always looking for a sign. Instead of being interrupted in your daily life by God injected himself there and revealing himself to you. To you. That was the Jewish thing. And, and Paul said, for them, a crucified Messiah? What type of sign is that? He's supposed to be a lineage of David. He's supposed to be a warrior like David. He was supposed to have the whole world kneeling at his feet, not crucifying him on a cross. A Roman power. God used that foolish sign so that we can know his power. True power. Not to say he did it or she did it, because nobody can say that to him. Because he didn't do it. But in Nonetheless, he hung there for a weed that did do it. You follow me? Wow. Only the cross reveals what God says, C.S. Lewis, who stoops to power. Because now he doesn't come with power all over you. He doesn't do what I say or else. He comes and he gives you power for you. This is for you. Salvation, sanctification, wisdom, redemption. For you. It's free. It's grace. You don't have to do anything for it. You just have to welcome it into your life and say, I need you, Lord. I need you. See, the world cries out, we don't need a weak, powerless God. And some of you are probably thinking, what type of God is that? So weak. So powerless. That he still hangs on a cross and bleeds and dies. What type of God is that? Back in the late 50s and 60s, there was a philosopher named Nietzsche that started that God is dead slogan. And you've seen the graffiti all over the place, at least in Ontario, at the overpasses of God is dead. Because who would believe such a story about a weak God crucified on a cross as something that we should worship and adore and fall on our faces before? Nonsense! Foolishness! You've got to be kidding me! That's what you want me to believe! God says, yes, that's who I am. That's the top of God I am. I'm a God that's for you, not over you. Demand 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 He gives you the freedom to accept. And you become part of those being saved. Saved, being saved, and shall be saved. Or you say no, you're part of the parish. It's as simple as that. Paul starts his letter with, and then builds it up throughout it all. When Paul came into a pagan city that prided itself on intellectual and cultural life, it's like going to New York, to London, to Paris, to Rome. Some people say, even Toronto, all that cosmopolitan flavor and all the intelligence that's there. And he stood to speak about Jesus Christ who had been crucified by the Romans but raised from the dead by God and was now the Lord of the universe summoning people to faithful obedience. He knew what people would think. 
He was not. I had floored, surprised by the response of some of them. Some of them. I called it nonsense and foolishness. It's the craziest message that's ever been preached. It's madness, but it's the message we need, church. It's the message we need. We preach Christ crucified. What does the church on the corner of Dock Road say? In Western Road, what do they preach? They preach Christ crucified. First, the power of God for salvation. We're not into popularity like this. We don't have to be the most popular church in West Prince. But we need to be the most faithful and credible church that God has called us to be. Hello? Let's see. We preach Christ crucified. E. Stanley Jones was a Methodist that one day was elected for the bishop to office within the Methodist church, and he gave it up within a day. He went back to being a missionary in India. He said, it was not for me. He was not into popularity. He said these words, Jesus needs no protection. He needs proclamation. Some people are so busy trying to protect Jesus, he doesn't need protection. He needs you to proclaim from your lips that he is Lord and he is God. Then he said these words, I present Jesus, and he is his own defense. That's all you're called to do, to speak the name of Jesus, and Jesus can take care of himself, don't you think? Anybody that was crucified on the cross for our sins doesn't need my defense. He could have called 10,000 names, but he didn't. Because of you, and because of me, and because of all of humanity. The message of a crucified Christ was an absolute radical message that revolutionized the Roman world of its day. Why? Because it sided with the victims and not with the victors. So many people in the church are going to go where the victors and the popularity is. But Jesus sides with the victims, with the down and outs, with the people that need bread, the people that need clothing, the people that have addiction problems, the people that have mental health problems, the people that are just confused with identity in the world. That's what Jesus wants us, because he sides with the victims and not the victors, because he is the victor. The only victor I need to side with is him and him alone. It's the crucified Christ that saves us, forgives us, empowers us. It was the power of God to deal with sin. And the only way to be made right with God is through the crucified Christ. Do you know him? Do you follow him? Do you live for him? And you sat at his feet. There's a story here in the worship band can come. This you can find in a wall in the Plantine Hills of Rome. You can see how the message of the foolishness of a crucified Messiah traveled in those days. They depicted Jesus on the cross as a donkey. The meaning of a donkey hasn't changed much. Stubborn, foolish, hard-headed. And they put there, and that's, he was a page boy. His name was Alan Menos. Alex Menos, something like that, anyway. And uh, his fellow page boys that traveled to the Senate back and forth giving the notes what was being discussed in the Senate, just like our page people do in our day. They said, this is Alephagos who worships his God. Foolishness. Donkey. But if you went into the room where Alex Nevis is, Alex Nevis remains faithful. 
It's a foolish message. Now I'm faithful to it. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the message of the cross. I can't say enough about it, Lord. The day, of Lord, that my chains, the Lord, broke, I rose, went forth, and followed you. And the whole theme of the song, and can it be, that you would approach me, that you would approach those in this room and reveal yourself in the cross of Calvary, and you would reveal the beauty of our God, the love of our God, the righteousness of God, the holiness of our God, the purity of our God. And you invite us into your family. Yes, you do rule, but you rule on our behalf. What a good lesson the politicians of the state can learn, Lord, that they are not over us, but they are for us. Lord, may the quarrels, the quarreling, the factionalism stop as we gaze upon the cross of Jesus Christ. To you be the glory, the honor, the power, and the blessing forever and ever. Amen. Let us stand and